You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of 1 Samuel. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm excited about this study in Samuel. It's really uh, sort of the, the bridge uh, between the time of the judges and the time of the kings. And so it, it's really that that period really where they're transitioning out of uh, being led by judges, uh, where they will now be led by kings. And the book really is about leadership, and we're going to see the leadership of, of Samuel, the leadership of Saul, and the leadership of David, and just the, the different ways in which these men lead God's people, uh, some uh, great leadership qualities uh, that are demonstrated, and, and then others, uh, mainly in the life of Saul, just terrible, terrible leadership, um, leaning on the flesh, and, and so we'll, we'll look at these things as, as we uh, go through the book of 1 Samuel. The theme of 1 Samuel really is hearing from God, and, and it's, it's sort of brought out right at the very beginning of this book as... Samuel is born, and he, his name literally means that God heard. That God heard the voice of Hannah, and, and Samuel would be a man that heard the voice of God. Samuel would be a man that his name means God hears, and he would be a person who hears from the Lord, and who obeys, and who does what God asks of him. And it's not simply enough just to hear God's voice. We need to be people that act upon it. And, and we'll see that clearly in our, our study. And so, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramatham, Zotham, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. Now we know from uh, later passages he was not literally an Ephraimite. He was actually a Levite, but he lived in the area of Ephraim, and so he was from that area. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And in this time, it was, it was fairly common for uh, wealthy men to be uh, polygamous, to have more than one wife. Why they would want to do that, I have absolutely no idea. Um, you know, probably in this case, Hannah was his first wife. And Hannah couldn't bear children, so he married Peninnah so that he could have children. He could carry on his, his line, which was a big deal in that culture. And, and that seems to make sense because he loved Hannah, but she was unable to bear children. But the Bible early on does, does not strictly prohibit polygamy, but it, it never points it in a, in a positive light either. It never uh, makes it into something that's glorious at all. It's always uh, 
shown to, to just have all kinds of problems. It, it's always made uh, out to be something that will cause grief. And if you think about it, I mean, it's hard enough to be married to one person. And, and guys, it's hard enough to have one wife. And, you know, think, think about how difficult it would be to, to please two women. You know, and, and, and you know how it would work. They, their, their cycles would never be at the same time. You know, you, you couldn't time that. So it would just be, you know, like you, you just a never-ending period pretty much probably. I mean, that, that's pretty much what Elkanah was facing here. But Hannah had, had no children, but, but she was loved by Elkanah or Elkanah. And Elkanah was a, was a great man. He was a man of character, even though he had a lot of uh, attributes that, that most men have. He still was just a, a man of, of great character. And it says that this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And so, in the midst of the judges, remember, this was the time of the judges. Even though they're transitioning out of that time, this was still the time of the judges. And you remember what the time of the judges was? It was a time when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel. There was no leadership. There was no heart for God. There was no obedience to God. Everybody was just doing what felt good, what seemed right. And yet, Elkanah was a man who wanted to worship God, who wanted to serve God, whose life was dedicated to God. And, and often, you'll hear people today make excuses for why they're not serving the Lord. Well, look at the culture, look at society. It's, it's harder to be a Christian today than it ever has been, and, and all of these things. And, and some of that may be true. But let's face it, men like Daniel, who was thrust into the Babylonian culture, and yet he worshipped God and he served God. Men like Abraham, who obeyed God even though he was raised in a pagan culture. Men like Moses, who was raised in the Egyptian culture, and yet he had a heart for God. And, and the same with Elkanah here, he, he was living in a time where everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, and yet he served God. Is that true of us? Are, are, are we people that, despite our culture, despite our surrounding, despite um, our environment at school or at work or in our family, are we people that are worshiping God, that are obeying God, that are hearing from God and doing what he tells us to do? He went up yearly to sacrifice to the Lord. And also the two sons of Eli, who is the priest at this time, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there. Now, the reason that the text brings out their name in sort of this random place is because the author wants us to be mindful of the fact that Elkanah went up to worship the Lord and to sacrifice to the Lord in a time of depravity culturally and also in the midst of a church, if you want to call it that, the temple, the tabernacle, that was totally screwed up. Eli had two sons who were 
having sexual relations with women at the tabernacle. They, they were abusing their power as priests. They, they were taking advantage of God's people. And it would have been really easy for Elkanah to say, you know what? I'm not going to that church. I'm not going to worship there. I'm not going to give my money. I'm not going to serve the Lord. I mean, look, look at what's going on in this house of worship. And how many people, may, maybe even you've thought this, that you know what, the, 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 the church is so screwed up and, and there's nobody that's really following God. Everybody's just a bunch of hypocrites. And, and so that excuses me, that absolves me of my responsibility. And yet that wasn't true of Elkanah at all. He, he went up and he sacrificed despite what was going on there in the tabernacle. Despite the corruption. Despite the hypocrisy. And you guys, God isn't asking us to serve him because everybody else is. God isn't asking you to serve him in light of my character or in light of how good of a job I'm doing or how good of a, of a church that you attend. God is asking you to serve him because of who he is. And, and Elkanah had that figured out. And whenever the time came for El, Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, that is Peninnah, also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. And so here's another reason not to have more than one wife. There's competition and there was infighting and backbiting and bickering and provoking. And poor Hannah couldn't have children, which in that time was... Just a disgrace. It was a disgrace to her, to her family. And she would have looked, been looked down upon. And she, she would have been a laughing stock in, in her community. And even in her own home. Peninnah would just make fun of her all the time. Would provoke her. Would bring her to tears. And that probably stemmed from the fact that Elkanah loved Hannah more. And so the more that he lavished gifts on her and blessed her and loved her, the more that she would then take it out on Hannah. You can see the vicious cycle. Because Elkanah would go, oh, poor Hannah, she's being mistreated by Peninnah, so I'm going to give her more gifts. And it was just this vicious cycle that, that happened here. But it was this misery, it was this barren womb that is really at the heart of what we want to talk about tonight. Because it was through this that God brought about His will. And I think it was bringing Hannah to this place of desperation that brought about the will of God in this case. As we're going to see that Hannah dedicates her child, Samuel, to the Lord. And would she have dedicated him to the Lord if it wasn't for this place of desperation? If it wasn't for the fact that it was a miracle that she had a child. See, I don't think she would have given her son to the service of the Lord the way she did. 
And as you look at your life, you guys, and you, and you look at the things that have brought misery, that have brought sorrow, that have brought difficulty into your life, maybe it is a, a closed womb, literally. Maybe it's a physical malady. Maybe it's financial difficulty. Maybe it's a learning disability or any number of things that you just think, God, why? Why me? Why did this have to happen? And it's those things that God uses in our life to bring about His will. And so rather than hating God and being angry at God and despising this particular difficulty in your life, look at it as the thing by which God is working His will into your life, as we'll see with Hannah. We, we need to embrace these things because they are the very instrument through which God does His work. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she, that is Peninnah, provoked her. And so every year they go up to worship and Peninnah just provokes her and makes fun of her and chastises her. Therefore, Hannah wept and did not eat. And so this was supposed to be a time of celebration. And yet she's just weeping and doesn't want to eat because of her misery. Then Elkanah, her husband, and this is just classic of a man here. He says to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And I can just imagine that she probably would have said something like, What do you mean, why do I weep? I've told you a hundred times. You don't listen to me. You don't care about me, right? My womb is closed. I can't have kids. That's the problem. But typical guy, like he wants to get to the bottom of it, right? Why do you weep, Hannah? What's the problem? Let me fix it. Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? It's like, come on, babe. You got me. What's the problem? I mean, how could you possibly be miserable being married to me? Am I not better to you than ten kids? I mean, does that help her situation? I mean, she's got, you know, his other wife making fun of her all the time, chastising her. And now he's saying, look, you're married to me. You got it made. I'm sure that his arrogance really made her feel better. You can just picture how that went down. But I think, guys, you know, when, when your wives are, are grieving and sorrow, sorrowful and having a difficult time, we, we have a tendency to want to fix it. And I don't think that that's really what they want. They just want to be listened to, to be loved, to be nurtured. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And so they, they've gone up to worship. And the place of worship is in Shiloh. It's not in Jerusalem yet. It's in Shiloh. And it was the tabernacle. And so you remember that Moses was commanded to build a tabernacle after they left Egypt. And that was so that it would be portable. So as they moved throughout the desert, they could erect the tabernacle, and then when they needed to move on, they could tear it down and build it somewhere else. Well, now they're, they're placed in the promised land, 
but they're still worshiping at the tabernacle, but it's in one place. It's in Shiloh. Now, later on, under the, the kingship of Solomon, they would build a permanent temple. But in, until then, for about 400 years, the place of worship was in Shiloh. Now, later in Jeremiah, God is going to tell Jeremiah, hey, go look at Shiloh. It's barren, it's empty, and it's a picture of the people of Israel's heart. That at one point, this was such a a wonderful place. This was the place of worship. This was the place of God's presence. And now it's empty. And how true that is, that there can be times in our life where, man, we're just flourishing in our relationship with the Lord and we're doing so well. and, And we're growing and we're bearing fruit. And God's presence is in our life and 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 then yet there can be times where you look at that person and you think man do they even know the lord is is god's presence there that such a a dramatic change because they they didn't continue to walk with the lord as as israel just turned its back on god uh, and shiloh was a a real uh, microcosm uh, of that. And so Eli the priest is sitting there at the doorpost of the tabernacle, and Hannah was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And so she prays to God, and she makes a vow to the Lord. She says, God, if, if you will bless me with a child, I will dedicate that child to you. He will be a Nazarite, which was, was a vow that, that a person could make for any length of time. But it was basically... A vow of dedication to the Lord. That your life would be dedicated to his service. And and she's saying, Lord, if you'll bless me with a child, I will give you this child for your service forever. I'll dedicate him to you. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. And so she's sitting there, she's praying. Eli's watching. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. And so this, this gives us some indication that you don't have to pray out loud for God to hear you. That there is no certain way to pray. She's there. She's sorrowful. She's mourning. She's grieving. She's mouthing the words, but she's not actually verbalizing them. And, and Eli's sitting there, and he's watching her. And it says that Eli thought she was drunk. And Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. So, you know, this lady's got some real sensitive men in her life. You know, her husband's like, hey, babe, am I not better than ten sons to you? Her pastor's like, hey, lady, get off the wine when she's praying. Come on, you drunk. What are you doing? I don't have time for this kind of stuff. Which kind of shows you what was going on in the tabernacle. If Eli thought she was drunk, that must have been a fairly common thing. I don't think he just made this up. You know, I don't think he just came to this conclusion because it had never happened before. Obviously, this was a practice. 
of people to come to the tabernacle to worship God and just to be liquored up. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. And look at the respect that, that she shows to him. Even though he didn't deserve it, and even though essentially he had just put her down. I mean, I think I would have wanted to defend myself. You know, like, hey, dude, don't you feel like an idiot? I'm actually praying right now. So why don't you pull your head out and start paying attention to what's going on? But she's like, no, she speaks with respect. No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Man, what a great response. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And so Eli has no idea what she's even asked or that she even asked anything. And so he's sort of speaking prophetically here. Go your way. May God grant to you this request. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And so it's almost like Hannah just knew that God was going to answer this prayer. She was confident. And you guys, I want you to take notice of how Hannah handled her difficulty. Yes, she wept. Yes, she was sorrowful. Yes, she felt miserable. But she gave it to God. And what is it that you need to give to the Lord tonight? What is it that God is asking for you just to lay at his feet? Now, this passage and this story is not some kind of a carte blanche. It's not a promise that everything we ask of the Lord will be given to us. Or that every difficulty that we're facing will just be wiped away. But it is a great principle that is laid out here of how to handle difficulty. To pray. To give it to the Lord. And people say, well, yeah, I tried that. And, and you know, an hour later, it, it just was the same. The, the difficulty was there again. And the, the anxiety and the worry and the grief and the sorrow. Then you give it to the Lord again and again. And the Bible says that, that when we do that, Philippians chapter 4, that he will replace our anxiety and our worry with his peace that passes all understanding. And that's exactly what Hannah had here. She went and ate what she hadn't done previously, and she was no longer sad. And so by giving it to God, he gave her his peace. And what is it that the Lord wants you just to hand to him tonight, to, to lay at his feet, to pray about? Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, which is an Old Testament way of saying that they had sexual relations. He knew his wife and the Lord remembered her. Now, this is an anthropomorphism here. God doesn't remember things. Because he never forgets and he, it's never out of his mind. And so this is, a, this is a way for us to connect our limitations with, with God's omnipotence and omniscience. It's a way for us to, to kind of relate to God. But it, it's not at all saying that the Lord was like, oh yeah, 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 that vow you made. Oh man, I'm glad you reminded me. 
I, I would have forgotten. It's just a, a word that's used so that we can understand. Elkanah knew Hannah and the Lord remembered her. The Lord blessed her. The Lord fulfilled her request. And so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. And Samuel means heard by God. God heard Hannah's prayer and he blessed her. He fulfilled her request. But notice he did it through the natural process of life. He, he, he didn't just drop a baby in her lap. You know, the stork didn't come flying by and drop one down. You know, it was the natural process of life. And God almost always, you guys, works supernaturally in very natural ways. We're looking for God to do just the supernatural and the miraculous in, in some kind of unconventional way. That God's going to speak to me by writing it in the sky. That, that God's going to not just pay my bills, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win the lottery. You know, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to have a million dollars dropped into my lap or something. And very often God just meets our needs. And it's the daily blessings of the Lord. And it's His still small voice. And it's God working in the natural processes of life as we see here. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And so she doesn't want to go up to the place of worship until the, the appropriate time for her to give her son. That was her act of worship. And, and yet he needed to be brought to that point where he could be weaned. Now, their time of weaning and our time of weaning were, were a little different. And, you know, for us, this would be like super weird to see a baby, you know, nursing at like three or four years old. But that, that was the, the culture and that was how they did things in that time. And so, Samuel probably would have been about three or four years old until he was weaned. And I just think about that. I think about my son Carson, you know, still nursing. And it's just, it's like laughable, you know. But that was the culture of that time. And so she says, look, not until the child's weaned. I promised this child to the Lord. I'm not going until I'm ready to fulfill that. And he'll, he will remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And so, I mean, although Elkanah's a little insensitive and a lot like most of us guys, like I said, he, he's a man of character. He, he doesn't say to her, Come on, why are we giving our only son together to the Lord? I mean, what is... What is up with that? I mean, I know you said that, you know, but does, does God really expect you to keep your word in that? I mean, it's kind of stupid. And plus, the, the tabernacle, Hannah's all screwed up. I mean, are we really going to offer our son to the service of the Lord in that environment? You see how he very easily could have justified and just said, I'm not doing that. This is my son. 
from, from the wife that I love. But he says to her, you know what? You do what, what you said to the Lord. You, you fulfill your promise to him. Only let the Lord establish his word. We won't go back on that. Let God confirm his will in this situation. Then the woman stayed and nursed until she had weaned him. And now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. As I said, he was probably three or four years old. And I want, I want you guys, especially ladies, I want you to think about raising a child until three or four years old and then just simply handing him off to the priest at the temple, turning your back and saying, dedicated to the Lord. I want you to think how difficult that would be. As I was reading this today and studying this, I was thinking about, again, my son Carson, who's four years old. And I was thinking how crazy that would be, how difficult that would be. See, we read these stories, and we don't put ourselves into them enough. We just think, ah, you know, Hannah said she was going to do it. You got to do it. But you think about yourself. You think about how difficult this would be. Of course she said she would do it. But that doesn't make it any easier. I mean, this is her son. She's raised him to the point of three or four years old, maybe even as old as five. She's nursed him. She's taught him. She's prayed with him. She's bandaged up his wounds. She's cleaned him up. She's given him baths. She's told him stories. She's taught him about the Lord. She's grown attached to this child. And yet she knows that obedience is what God is asking for. Because you remember, as I said earlier, that, that this, this was the, the very thing that God was bringing to pass so that his will could be done. This was, the, this was the very thing that God was using to bring about his plan, was the fact that she could not bear children naturally. And yet God met her, and he blessed her, and she had a child, and now this child is going to be a mighty man of God. And it was through her difficulty that God brought about his plan. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. And so again, she shows Eli respect. She reminds him of the situation. It's been several years now since she saw him. I'm the one that was here. You remember you thought I was drunk? Yeah, I'm not offended. It's okay. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent or granted to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. And so she's fulfilling what she was called to do. To, to give this child back to the Lord. She was obeying. And she had a a great perspective that, that all of us as parents should have. She says, for this child I prayed. God granted me my petition, 
And therefore, I'm giving him back to the Lord. The Lord has lent him to me. The Lord has privileged me to be able to to raise this child to this point. But now I'm giving him back to the Lord. Parents, your children do not belong to you. They're on loan from the Lord. And, And God has called us as parents to see it that way. That our priorities for them, that our goals for them, that our heart for them, that our desire for them would not be anything more than that they would be people that are madly in love with Jesus. That's what he wants. And see, we have all these other priorities that we want for our kids. And and I'll tell you something, sometimes... Some of the greatest obstacles that I've seen in young people's lives are is not peer pressure, it's not drugs, it's not sex, it's parents. And sometimes parents that love the Lord. And you just see them when their kids get into their high school years, they just get super weird. Like, what on earth are you thinking? All freaked out about stuff they shouldn't be freaked out about, having the wrong priorities, running them to this camp and this thing and, and this event and, and just, oh, you've got to be this and, and if you're not, you know, you're going to be a disappointment to me. And, and, and meanwhile, just totally neglecting spiritual things. How many people have we seen, even in this church, even in this community, who their, their child's activities run their lives. And, and, it, and they think they've got to, to run them to this and to that. And if they're not involved in everything, that their kids are missing out. And then it's no wonder that when that child graduates from high school, that Jesus is not a priority. Why would he be? He hasn't been for the last 18 years. You've taught them that everything else is a priority. That, that, that these goals that you set, that getting into the right college, that getting a scholarship, that achieving this level of athletics or academics, that getting certain grades, that that's the priority. And everything else just gets thrown by the wayside. And I'll tell you that right now, that the greatest obstacle that I see in youth, youth lives is parents just getting absolutely tweaked about things that they shouldn't be and having the wrong priorities. I've seen it many times. And I, I just pray. We, we have a lot of young children in our church, and, and a lot of you have young kids. And man, I just encourage you, give them Jesus. Make him the priority of your life and of their life. And have your goal for your child to be a lover of Jesus. Whatever they choose to do on top of that isn't really a big deal. Now, I mean, we all have goals for our kids. And and I'm certainly not advocating that, that kids don't get an education or that they're not involved in things. But man, there has got to be priorities. And whatever you're giving your kids, that's what they're going to see as important. Whatever it is that 
that you're putting in front of them the most. Whatever it is that, that you're making a, a priority to them. And so I just encourage you guys with, with Hannah's perspective here. I've lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he, he belongs to the Lord. And they worship the Lord there. Her, her worship to the Lord was, was rooted in her obedience. It was rooted in sacrifice. It was rooted in surrender to God. And, and I'll say this, is that, that often our worship is so empty. Because it isn't rooted in obedience. In fact, the, the words that we can even be saying are so far from our, mouth, our, our hearts, are so far from what is actually going on. But when Hannah and Elkanah worship the Lord here, they were putting their actions and matching them up with, with their words. Their worship was beyond just singing a song. It, it was rooted in obedience. And you guys, that's part of worship. Worship is not just coming here and corporately singing. Worship is, is how we relate to God on Monday and Tuesday and throughout the rest of the week. As we're going to see later with Saul. That Saul thought he could worship by simply, you know, giving some of his possessions to the Lord. Possessions that he acquired wrongfully. By having the wrong priorities. And, and Samuel says to him, Saul, keep your stuff. God wants your heart, dude. God wants your obedience. And you guys, our worship, it's got to be rooted in obedience. Otherwise, it is absolutely empty words. Our worship has to be rooted in surrender. Surrender to the Lord. She was surrendering her most prized possession her only son, the one she had waited for, the one she had raised, the one she had brought to the point of weaning. She gives that to the Lord. She surrenders her life to Him. She obeys Him. She's willing to sacrifice. You guys, worship that doesn't cost us anything is not worship. And it can be financial. Absolutely. And you know, we don't pass a plate here, and, and, and the reason why we don't do that is because we don't want to make money a, a focus or a distraction. But that doesn't mean that giving to the Lord is not A, important, and B, part of worship. And the reason why many churches pass the plate during worship is because it is part of worship to God. Sacrifice. How we handle our resources, in this case, a son. In your case, it may be your children as well, as we've talked at great length about, whether they're dedicated to God. But it may be your money, how you handle that and, and, and where your priorities are at with that speaks volumes of where you're at with Jesus. It could be any number of, of the things that God has blessed you with, your resources. It, it could be your time. It's amazing to me that that we can worship the Lord and we can talk of, of how much we love God and, and that our, our lives are dedicated to Him and that we're followers of Him and yet our time is spent on everything but the Lord. That He isn't factored into our time. 
that we're very selfish with our time. And people will say, I don't have time for that. And yet that very same person will have time to do every hobby and recreational activity that they want to do. They always, we always find time for that. And so as we read about worship, you guys, it is way more than just singing some songs, which we're going to do tonight. It's way more than that. It's got to be rooted in obedience and surrender and sacrifice, which is what we see with Hannah, a woman who didn't simply say, Lord, I love you. I give my life to you. You're my everything. She didn't just sing some songs about how Jesus is her boyfriend. She said, you know what? I'm going to obey God. The most difficult thing I've ever had to do. I'm going to surrender to God. My life is dedicated to him. And I'm going to sacrifice of what he's given to me. See, and that's how you have to see it. God has given it to you. It's not yours anyway. So really you're just giving back to him what he's already given to you. Just like with Samuel. She would have never had this child if it wasn't for the Lord. And yes, it was difficult and it was heart-wrenching. But at the same time, logic said, if it wasn't for God, I would have never had this baby. And you know what? Logic says, if it wasn't for God, I don't have my next breath. I don't have the next minute. It isn't mine. This time is not mine. It's the Lord's. And, and there's going to come a point where he takes it from me. And we don't know when that is. And this, this money isn't mine. God has given me the ability to work, the brain to do what I do, the muscle, the skill, the gifts. It's all from the Lord. And so, as Romans chapter 12 says... It's our reasonable act of worship. It, it just is reasonable, you guys. And that's what God's calling us to do. And so we're going we're gonna to close with, with an opportunity to worship the Lord in song. The opportunity to, to hear from God. And I just encourage you guys to not just make it singing some songs, but to truly give your heart and your life and your everything to Him. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.